The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better, too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And I don't think it gets any more rock and roll than today's guest, Iron Maiden founder, bassist, chief songwriter, architect, genius, Steve Harris, making his talk as Jericho debut. I've been waiting for this for 30 years. Uh, I can't believe it. Uh, if you would have told me when I was 15 years old as a huge Iron Maiden fan that somebody Steve Harris would call my phone, I would have flipped out. And even crazier, about a week after we recorded this interview, I got a call from Steve Harris asking if Fozzie wanted to open the Iron Maiden show in Los Angeles at the Bank of California Stadium uh, next September 14th. So I said, uh, let me check my schedule. Uh, yes. And that's what we're doing. Fozzie, uh, main support for uh, Iron Maiden on the Legacy of the Beast Tour in Los Angeles at the Bank of California Stadium, September 14th, 2019. Tickets on sale now. They sold out all over Europe this past summer and fall. It's a great set list. And Maiden finally bringing it to North America next year with the, the Raven Age as their support, except for in Los Angeles, where they added Fozzie on the bill as well. So that's huge. Uh, that happened after I spoke to Steve, but we're going to talk to Steve about the set list coming up. We'll talk about the uh, legacy of the Beast Tour before it was officially announced. Maiden, uh, very famous for keeping everything very close to the vest. Uh, we're going to talk about his uh, side project, British Lion. He's touring with British Lion this fall. They're headed to Japan next week. A three-date run starting the 26th in Osaka, Japan. You hear all about how Steve got involved with British Lion and how soon we might find a, a new studio album from them. Uh, they recorded a new studio version of a British Lion favorite, and Steve gave us the go-ahead to play it for you now. So here you go, the brand new studio recording, straight from Steve Harris himself. This is Spitfire by British Lion, right here on Talk to Jericho. We used to run through golden fields that sway like oceans of the morning breeze. I would stand there looking up We love the stories that these used to be Burning dark fires in the clouds Thunder cut my streak
All right, that's the new studio version of Spitfire. There's a story there. Steve Harris is going to tell us all about it. He's going to tell us about Iron Maiden, Compass Point Studios, The X Factor, one of my favorite albums. Uh, growing up with his grandmother, so many cool stories from Steve Harris, one of my personal heroes. I can't believe he called my phone. I can't believe we're opening for Iron Maiden, and I can't believe Steve Harris is here on Talk is Jericho starting now. All right, with me here, calling from England, I assume. Steve Harris is here. Are you in England, Steve? No, I'm in Bahamas, actually. Aha, Bahamas. It's the famous uh, Compass Point Studios in Bahamas, correct? That's right, yeah. Yeah, just down the road, yeah. Is it it's still there? It's not there anymore, though, but, unfortunately. But oh, it's not there no, anymore? No, well, we did the last album, well, the one before last, Final Frontier there. But uh, since then, the studio is not really functioning as a studio. So I don't know if it'll ever come back. The guy that was running the, running the place, a guy called Terry Manning, um, moved off the island and stuff. And so I think it just sort of all went pear-shaped from there, really. It's kind of changed, hasn't it, the way that you can record an album these days anyhow, the, the days of kind of going into yeah, the lavish right. studios, I mean, right? Also, when we went in there, I mean, it was nostalgic and great in a way, but the I mean, the equipment hadn't changed since the time before we went last. We went in there in <laughs> 1986, so you know it was fun thing, you know, from the nostalgia point of view. But it wasn't, you know, technical point of view. We had to get some gear in and this and that and the other. So it needed some attention. But it's a shame because, you know, so many people just recorded there, famous people or whatever, and we had good times there too. So yeah, um, it was like a famous, shame, really. famous historical studio, correct? Yeah, lo- yeah. I mean, loads of people, Stones, ACDC, and uh, or a host of other people recorded there. So, very famous, yeah. Very well, well-known studio. Well, those in the know, I suppose. Great studio and a great pub, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, It was all good stuff, you know, uh, in a good time. We enjoyed making our albums here. <laughs> you um, know, it's, it's, it's funny. I would have um, loved to have done another one here, really, but it's, uh, you know... At some point, maybe we could. There isn't another studio that's opened up here um, on the other side of the island uh, in Albany, a place called Albany, and um, so there's a studio there. And uh, I went and looked at it, and it's, it's great. It's state-of-the-art studio, so it might be something for the future. Is it hard to make a record like that when you have, you know, the beaches there and the sun is out? Does it make it easier to do a record in a situation no. like that or harder? No, it makes no difference, really, not when you're in the studio, because, you know, most studios, I mean, they haven't got any windows in them anyway, so it could be snow or outside, or it could be sunny. It does, you know, it really doesn't matter once you're in there. And um, it's funny, because someone sort of slagged me off, saying, oh, you know, I lived in Bahamas now, and blah, 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 and this, that, and the other, and won't write any more kind of, you know, whatever stuff, and all this, and I thought, well, you know what, I actually wrote Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner when I was in the Bahamas back in the day anyway, when we were recording, I actually wrote that song there, so, you know. Right, it's, right. It's, it's crazy how some people think, really, but it makes no difference where where you are. And in some ways, if you are in a relaxed atmosphere, you're going to be more creative anyway. That makes sense, a little bit more uh, relaxed, like you said, less stress, which gets the creative juices Yeah, I mean, it depends. Just, you know, sometimes, you, I mean, some songs are more adrenaline-based and, you know, whatever, but do you have to be in an, in an adrenaline-based atmosphere to write something like that? No, I don't anyway. 
So a lot of times when you do a record, for example, when you do British Lion or when you do a Maiden record, do you write a lot in the studio or do you come fairly prepared when you show up for work, so to speak? Well, right in, in, right in the early days, obviously, you know, like I was writing stuff. Basically, this is another point, really, that, you know, I was writing stuff in my nan's back room, you know, just that's where I was sort of living, really. And uh, so I wrote a lot of the stuff, early stuff in there. Um, but then once you... Once we started sort of getting more known, you know, the budget became a bit more and we was able to go in studios or whatever, then, you know, we started recording in Bahamas and this and that and the other from, you know, peace of mind onwards. And so we were writing, doing stuff in like Jersey and the Channel Islands and and, and writing stuff in Bahamas as well while we were, you know, at the studio. Um, so it, it changed quite drastically in a two or three year period, really. But up to sort of num- including Number of the Beast, all the albums were done in London. And um, so a lot of the material, most of the material, in fact, was written still at, at home, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you have kind well, of. Well, at the time um, for me, it was, it was around my nan's house. I was living with my grandparents for quite, you know, quite some time. How long were you living for you, with your grandparents? Like when you're talking, were you still living there when the first Iron Maiden record well, came out? it was when my mum and dad moved out into the countryside um, when I was about 15. And, you know, it was just totally the wrong time for me. School exams coming up and this and that and the other. And then, with you know, filming a band and playing football and soccer, as you call it, whatever. And so, you know, it was just totally the wrong time for me. And so I ended up just moving in with me then and I ended up staying there till I was about 26, 27. <laughs> so, so all through that early, you know, period of Maiden forming and then the first few albums and stuff like that was, I was still living there, you know. Was it, was it one of those situations when you were like, you would go to the world and be a rock star, then you would have to go home and help your nan do the dishes type of thing? <laughs> <laughs> No, I was a bit spoiled like that in a way. I mean, then, I mean, then sort of uh, didn't let me really do anything in the house. You know, she didn't particularly want me doing anything in the house. She was quite independent anyway and um, didn't really like me helping. I think for, I think if I had helped, it probably would have, you know, maybe not helped her. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, uh, that age, uh, as I said, it was great for me because I was right close to everything. I was, you know, close to all the you know, the underground to be able to travel around, buses and stuff, and, you know, it wasn't until a fair bit later that I got a van, was able to buy, you know, learn to drive and have a van of my own and stuff like that. So it was great. And also I had my own room, you know, to myself. Mm-hmm. Which if I'd been at home with my sisters, and I would have had all kind of, you know, family stuff going on, <laughs> noise and this and that and the other. So... It was actually a good situation for me, really, with writing and everything like that, because I had, you know, a quiet room that I could just, you know, knuckle down and do stuff, you know. It's great. Yeah, I had a Great situation for me, really, and that's also sort of why I didn't really rush to get out of there. No, it's it's a good situation, like you said. I've had. Nan really liked having me around anyway, or so she said anyway. I've had that before, though, when you go tour the world and Maybe come home. Maybe she's just being polite. I don't know. But. <laughs> when you get home and, and your wife says, okay, Mr. Rockstar, go take out the garbage. It puts perspective on things. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, yeah, I suppose. I mean, you still have to do you know, normal stuff. Right. People think that, that um, you don't do normal stuff, but I, I do. 
Do you ever get that when you're in the grocery store and people will go, oh, my if gosh. If it's sort of building type stuff, I don't mind. I quite enjoy that. It's quite therapeutic, but some things on the list are not really particularly good. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, taking rubbish out, but, you know. Yeah, exactly. Go to the grocery store. It's just one of those things. <laughs> Do you have, like, um, a, a tape, like a riff tape, where you put down your songwriting ideas um, or do you just kind of, when it's time to write, you just sit down and write and that's the way it goes? Well, back in the day, obviously, we, you know, we used to have tapes in them days and we used to put down, you know, I've got loads of tapes. I've got bags and bags of, you know, cassette tapes of stuff that I put down, bits and pieces. And, you know, I used to take them, you know, take the machine man with me. And, you know, sometimes if, if I was somewhere, you know, bit difficult or whatever I have to go outside and then like whistle into it or I'm into it or whatever if you get a, you know a lot of the time it's melodies you know you get in or even a riff you would just whistle the riff or whatever because uh, but sometimes you know I'd be out with and not have anything with me and I'd have to try and remember it all the way home on the bus and which is you know some, I didn't really want anyone talking to me or anything like that and um, so you, you're just trying to keep in your mind you think oh this is really good and I don't want to forget it because there was a couple of occasions where that did happen and I got distracted and, you know, and it never came back. So it wasn't meant to be, but there's been a couple of occasions where I did forget and it did come back. So, and one of them was actually, um, Rothschild. So, really, um, you know, that was meant to be obviously, but you know, these things happen and, um, you know, you just try and put stuff down. I mean, these days, obviously uh, it's different now. You just put stuff down, you, you know, on your phone or whatever and it's best to get it down and I'm just paranoid about it so I just back up stuff all the time and and have it sort of left in all different parts of the world with backup drives and things like that you know because you never know if you lose your phone or something on tour then right. I think that's what supposedly happened to Kirk Hammett supposedly that's what happened to him and, yeah, you lost and obviously him. he hadn't backed it up so um, you know that is a worry but I've got so many ideas and, you know, it's crazy, really. I mean, the ideas I get, I just get them all the time, and um, which is a great problem to have, but it is kind of a problem in a way because it's almost like you've got too much stuff. <laughs> but, um, too much stuff in your head. Yeah, nice problem to have. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it could be anywhere. It could just, it could just be anywhere, and sometimes, sometimes I might even be in the most awkward of places and, you know, just, I don't know if you're out socially or something, whatever, and you just get an idea and you think, oh, my God, I've you have to go outside and, or somewhere, you might be somewhere loud and you can't, and you have to go somewhere quiet to try and put the idea down and, you know. But as I said, it's a nice problem to have. I don't know why these, how these ideas just come out of nothing. We'll be walking down the road and, and, uh, there's nothing to influence anything. It's just, I don't know how they, how and why they pop up. I don't really sort of analyze it really or question it, I suppose. It's not to worry. It doesn't happen anymore. Right. Just be thankful that your muse is always there. Yet. Yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk about, about British Lions, Steve, and about uh, the record. Um, I know it's a few years old now, but 
it really it's a really cool vibe because obviously and I want to hear the story behind it because I know the original concept was Steve Harris solo album called British Lion but that mutated into the band British Lion yeah well back in the 90s that's when they were basically around and um, I first got a tape from Graham Leslie guitar player and um, I was really impressed with the tape so I just decided to meet up with him and then he got together with uh, Richard Taylor the sing- singer and uh, basically from that point on they you know sort of they were under a different name but then we you know I, I sort of asked them to change the name to British Lion because I thought it was a really powerful name and I think they weren't really that sure about the name to start with but um, anyway they, in the end they, we changed it and and I became sort of, I don't know, a cook and bottle washer and everything in between, really. I was sort of managing him and doing all kinds of stuff for him and agent and everything else. And mm. uh, I was actually, you know, do, you know, writing stuff for him as well. So basically, you know, I did get up and jam with him once as well in Portugal, but I wasn't, you know, sort of playing in the band at all, apart from that. And then they, they just folded up, and as bands do, and, you know... A few years later, I just thought, you know what, I just these songs are just too strong not to see the light of day. So that's what started it off, really. And I always had it in the back of my head that if I found time, I'd try and make time somewhere along the line to, to make it happen. And I'm really glad I did because I'm really enjoying it. The lads are really enjoying it. It's, it's a lot of fun, you know. And um, we've just finished recording the second album, so that's great. So we've got that in the can now. And... Um, so when we better release that and do something like that, I'm not really sure because every, that's the problem, really, that everything's based around Maiden, you know, obviously. Of course. If Maiden, you know, comes first, and so it should. So basically everything is just kind in between. Like now these gigs coming up now, it's just an opportunity. We got, we got offered the, the shows and just thought, you know, you've got to grab every, every opportunity to just, you know, have a go at it, really, and try and fit it in. Because my schedule was so sort of tight all the time, so busy with Maiden stuff, even when I'm not touring. So it's just grabbing a chance. And the thing is, if you don't just grab it and do it, then something else will come along, and possibly, and um, that will be it. So you just have to sort of grab it and go. Is it fun for you? You mentioned how much fun you're having, and and. What part of it is fun? The fact that you're playing a different style of music? Uh, is it fun to be touring? Yeah, it's just nice to do. I mean, it's still rock, you know. It's not metal, but it's rock. And it's, you know, they're really good. I think they're really, you know, strong songs. It's a different, completely different direction maybe from Maiden. But it's um, it's a lot of fun. And it's a lot of fun playing in small clubs too. Obviously, I can't play with those sort of places Maiden anymore and I haven't done for many many years so going back and playing those type of places well say going back a lot of the places I never played in the first place with Maiden because the band you know although we played around the UK a lot four and a half five years or whatever before we got signed um, when when we went to mainland Europe we supported Kiss and that tour really just sort of broke us and was able to go back and headline sort of well reasonable sized places with so almost bypassed a lot of the smaller clubs. So, say mm-hmm. a famous club like Milky Way in Amsterdam, I never played it until I got a chance to play it with British Lion. Oh. So, it was it's great to play those places. You know, I enjoy it, and I'm lucky that I can play all of them. You know, I'm just <laughs> so 
so lucky that I am able to play festivals, massive arenas with Maiden, and play clubs and this and that. Just played on a cruise in February, rock, Monsters of Rock Cruise with British Lion. That was something I'd never done before. And, um, you know, it's a challenge. I like. I do like a challenge. It's interesting, like, when you see, like, the Stones would do that. They'll do, uh, you know, a stadium show, then an arena show, and then a club show in the same city, like Paris, for example. For you, playing with Maiden, same vibe, stadiums and arenas, what's the big difference when you go and play some of these clubs that are, as they say, more intimate? But as I know from playing in cl- a lot of clubs, it's a, it's a real cool well, punk rock, dirty, sweaty vibe, which is a lot of fun in that respect yeah, as well. Yeah, it's a sweaty vibe. I'm not sure about the punk, punk rock bit. <laughs> but basically, uh, I, yeah, I like sort of being close to the fans and being sort of in their face and whatever and this and that. But, I mean, Bruce has got a fantastic way of actually, you know, making arenas feel like clubs anyway, mm-hmm. the way you kind of, you know, is with the fans. And we have, like, catwalks going out, to get, trying to get closer to the, the fans as well at the front. Um, you know, I must admit, I, some of the festivals I don't like where, you know, they've made the barrier so far away that it just, you know, but you just have to be professional and you just have to get on with it. But... Mm-hmm wherever possible, I'd like to be as close to the fans as possible. And obviously in a club, that is, you know, you're extremely close. And I, I do like that. For the, the guys in the band, I mean, when you're, when you're taking, for example, um, you know, when you're talking about what you're singing about Richard Taylor, does, is it hard for him to have to kind of go up against the, the legend of Bruce Dickinson? Or, or is it just, are you guys just being judged on your own merit? Or there's well, probably a lot of Maiden fans I, coming I, to check it out too. I did warn him beforehand. I said, look, I think it wouldn't matter what singer it was really to a certain degree because, you know, Bruce, how can you go up against Bruce anyway? And, right. But I don't even know why people do that really because it's a different thing altogether. It's not Maiden. It's totally different. It's a rock band. It's not, you know, it's more kind of UFO than Nizzy sort of than any, you know, influences. So it's not the same sort of thing, but, you know, people do, that's what they do, they compare, I suppose, and whatever, but, and it's, it, they shouldn't really, because it's a totally different thing, and he's got a totally different style of voice. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a bloody good voice, in my opinion, but, you know, if people got an opinion that says otherwise, then it's up to them, but they're going to start comparing it to Bruce, then, you know, there's not many people in this world that can keep up with him anyway, you know. Well, Freddie Mercury was fantastic, but he's no longer around, and there's not too many that can really, I don't think, stand up to him. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion, but he's not trying to do that. This British line is totally different. It's not even trying to compare or compete with Maiden. It's a whole different thing. And people come and see it live. I think they will, well, they'll either get it or they won't. But hopefully they will get it. I think it's, you know, it's just a good fun band having a good time. With, you know, really good songs and giving 100% and, you know, having fun while they're doing it. And it's, um, that's the thing. But he has got a very different style of voice, so it is what it is. It's, it's cool too. You know, they're not like... going to get some metal singer in because that's not what, what the aim is. And, you know, and why would I do that anyway? You know, it's like, it's, it's as much Richie's band as, as anybody's, probably more so. But that's the thing, when, when you have a great band, anyway, it, so. it, 
it doesn't matter what gets people into the doors. They're going to leave British Lion fans because, like you said, these songs are very good songs. And they're still rock and roll, man. It's not yeah, super well, I, heavy, I think but it's still so. rock and And as I said, I think it's about getting people in. It's always about that. I mean, I used to say that, but, you know, find myself repeating what I used to say in the maiden days, early days, because you're just trying to get people in and you're trying to get them there in the first place and to convince them one way or the other. And um, hopefully convince them that, you know, that it is a good band, a live band. And I think, you know, if people come along, I think they won't be disappointed. But if they're coming along expecting, you know, something similar to Maiden, it's not. So, <laughs> well, I think it's been going long enough now that people know that. And I think but so. I think there might be a, a, a bit of a change with this second album and some people's attitudes possibly because it's more representative of what we are now. The, the first album was a retro-sounding album. It was meant to sound that way. It was produced in that way. That was intentional. He was looking for that sort of 70s kind of you know, that type of sound, and this is different. This is more representative of where we are at now, and it's heavier. It's just, I don't know, like rock with melody, but with hard edge to it. It's a couple songs that, that are my favorites on, on the first British Lion are uh, The Chosen Ones and A World Without Heaven, which are both very lengthy songs, a la Iron Maiden, but The Chosen Ones almost has a little bit of a yeah, Boston I- feel to it. Yeah, they're, they're really good live songs, actually. I really enjoy playing them. Um, Chosen Ones, is, to me, is kind of UFO-y type stuff. Yeah, I mean, they're both really good songs, I think. Both got re- really good crowd participation bits in them. So I really enjoy playing them. And uh, they will still be in the set this time around. But um, we do have another track which I can send you, and, you know, if you, if you want to play it, you can play it. Love to hear. Yeah, when, when is when is the record getting get, get released? It's called Spitfire, <sighs> and um, you know it's, we have been playing it in the set for a while anyway. But it's you know it's the first time we've recorded it um, studio wise, so it sounds really good. I think so, and I think you know this time as well. You know, Richie's voice is sounding great on it. So um, not that he didn't on the first album, but. It, I think it's actually probably more representative of how he is live, so I think that's a good indication too. So you get a chance to play that or not, as you may, you know, you can hear it and see what you think, but well, it or not. But uh, when, I'll, I'll send that your, your way. I'd love it, man. Absolutely. The, the brand new track from British Lion exclusive from Steve Harris. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we won't be releasing an album, the, the album, until next year because. Um, you know, we haven't even sort of really got all the packaging together and all that kind of stuff. Again, it's just trying to fit everything in. It's just, you know, we've done it and recorded it and got it done. And um, in between times, but we sort of did the backing tracks around Christmas and stuff like that last Christmas. So it's all been done as and when we can fit it in. Well, a lot around me most of the time because I'm the one that's the busiest out of everybody. But, but yeah, really... I'm really pleased with it. I think it's a really powerful album, and so we'll it's, see what we can do. But um, I think it'd be nice to release a track kind of now. You're kind of the, the the brain trust of Iron Maiden that you're doing everything, even when the other guys are kind of off the road. You're still putting together the live records and editing the the, the DVDs and all that sort of stuff. And I'm sure it's a constant constant chain of events because Maiden is such a machine at this point. Yeah, well, of course. That's the you know because really I was. In between times, I wanted to put out a live British Lion album 
um, before the second studio album came out. And that was the, fully the intention. And I even said that in some interviews. And um, But I'm, well, I say unfortunately, it's not unfortunately because it's just one of those things. But, you know, something cropped up with the Maiden stuff, with all the DVD stuff, which wasn't planned at that point. But then there was a decision, you know, that we would do it. And so my time was taken up with that. And, you know, again, quite like you say, it takes precedence. It always, always has, always will. And that's fine. So things get put on the back burner with British Lion and... You know, um, that's the way it is, and that's where it always will be as long as Maiden is still going. So, so now, you know, we ended up sort of doing tracks of, for this album. So we decided, well, we might as well get the album out, and then we'll do a live album later. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll record some more shows and uh, have even more shows to go through. It's even more work, but <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's worthwhile doing that. Now, now that we've, we know we've got this studio album in the can. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's talk about when you're traveling with British Lion. Obviously with Iron Maiden, you've got Ed Force One, and I'm sure it's the top of the top. When you guys are on the road with, with British Lion, is it getting back into a bus? Uh, how does that work? For you guys yeah well in Europe it's always a bus because you know the distances ain't well they can be long depends if the agents have the darts out a dart ball out but or not but even that I usually sort of I, I did ask the question with the agent I said can anybody ever complain about you know where where the, they're going you know up and down the country sort of thing because I I'll go in and change it <laughs> and uh, she said no not really I said well Oh, well, this just must be me then. But, you know, I just would try and change things so that it makes it a lot easier just to travel from one place to another. But anyway, it is on the bus in Europe. And, um, yeah, going back to the bus again after a few years, as it's up and downs, without a doubt, you know. Um, I enjoy the bus. I always have done. So it was not really tough for me to do it. But, you know, there's certain things that you... You just have to put up with being everyone else, and it's you know. But obviously, he could said that it can be a lot of fun as well. So there's that element. It's also in some ways we just get on the bus after a gig and chill out sort of thing, and then you're off, you know, kind of a couple of hours down the road to the next place. So I, I like that side of it too. But you know, you can't not travelling the way Maiden does. It's incredible, and sometimes I have to pinch myself. But I think travelling with British Lion brings you back down to earth again. Mm. Um, in more ways than one and it keeps you grounded and it just makes you appreciate what you, what you have and it's not that we're not we're travelling badly we're not you know um, I don't think I could go back to driving around in cars or the back <laughs> of the van <laughs> in the very early days but yeah. but you know uh, we're certainly not sort of uh, travelling terribly by any means but you know and on this tour we'll be flying and just flying scheduled flights which it's going to be tough because some long distances, but it is what it is. You want to do these things, you have to put up with whatever it is to get there and do it. But the gigs will make it all worthwhile. 
that's what it's all about. You know, talking to you and hearing this, and I've always heard as well, and we have met a few times, you're a very humble guy, which is uh, rare in a lot of ways for, for a guy that's been doing it at the biggest of levels as you have. Um, how is it for you, for, for, like when you mentioned you're playing Monsters of uh, Rock Cruise or the, some of the festivals where you're not headlining? You've got, you know, 35 minutes or whatever it is, 45 minutes to play your set. Is that cool for you as well to kind of put yourself back into that sort of vein or sometimes does it bug you that you want to well, play I longer to, I think in a way that's the only side of it that's maybe not so good is if you're playing you know like less time I mean when we at Lionel's British Line we play for about an hour and a half something like that mm-hmm. sometimes if you're doing a support thing or whatever you know then you would be only playing maybe 45 or whatever once of what we actually did get an, more or less an hour so that was great mm. um, that's really only the downside to it you know, playing something like that, which we've never done before, was an opportunity. Everyone wanted to do it, you know, including me. So um, it was just a lot of fun. But if we're going to go out, that's the thing. Time is precious with British Line because I have to cram everything, as I've said before. So when we do go out, you don't really want to go out and play only for 45 minutes unless it's something. If we got offered, you know, a fantastic tour that made sense for mm. everybody, that's fine. But even then, I'm, I don't know, really, because... You know, as I said, time is precious, and we just would probably rather play to less people with an hour and a half. You know? Right. Because we're not trying to conquer the world. It's not, you know, we're not trying to do that. We're, we're just going out and having fun and doing what we do. And it's not, yeah, it'd be nice to get a few more people in each time, but we're not striving for world success or anything like that. You've you know, already it's got not that. What we're trying for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's not even that, but it's not even that I've already got it. It's just that. There is no time to do that. If you're going mm-hmm. to do that, you've got to put so much time and effort into it. And it takes a long time. In some case, many cases, a lot of years. A, I don't have that many years anyway. And also, I don't have the time to be able to do it. So it's not not possible. Um, so, it is, you know, it is what it is. It is a side project. And, you know, as long as Maiden is going, and it will be going for as long as it can do, it would always be a side project. Steve, you mentioned Thin Lizzy and you mentioned UFO. And, and when you were you know, pre-Maiden days, when you were you know 15, living with your nan and, and that sort of time frame, did you go to a lot of shows? Did you go and see those bands live? Well, that was another plus point of living in London. I mean, everyone plays London. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, there was gigs on every weekend, you know, just even up the road. I could walk up to the Red Lion pub up the road in Lankenstone and then, Every band's playing above it, you know, people like Stray, UFO, all kinds of people. A band called Pink Fairies, who probably most people don't even have heard of, but, you know, they were doing well in, in the, in, back in the day, but never really got anywhere after mm. that. But, you know, that, those sort of bands were playing all the time. You know, I went to the Chalk Farm Roundhouse and I saw UFO, um, Stray and Judas Priest all playing together, and you know, it was just amazing, you know. Did you... Budgie as well, uh, you know, all those type of bands, Finn Lizzy, you know, I saw all those bands. I saw ACDC play, supporting at the Marquee twice, you know, they were supporting Backstreet Crawler the first time I saw them. Really? And then they, um, yeah, and then they, well, actually, no, sorry, once, it was once seeing them like that, and then they came back the week after, and well, they did four headlines, and I went to two of them. First time they ever headlined the Marquee, so things like that. I was very lucky that I was able to be around and go to all these gigs and just jump on a bus or go on the train and, you know, not too far to get to any of them. 
What did you think of uh, Bon Scott as a front man? Oh, amazing. I mean, I was sort of second or third row when I saw him the first time because they were supporting. I didn't even know who they were. I didn't know what to expect. knew nothing about them whatsoever. I went to see Backstreet Crawler, which was Terry Slesser and, you know, basically Paul Kossoff's band. He passed away by then, so they just mm-hmm. white on the guitar. But, you know, I, I loved the free stuff and all that. So, and I liked Backstreet Crawler. So I went to see him and I couldn't, I got, for some unknown reason, I got there early and, which I think, you you know, not usual because it's not always easy to get there early at gigs, you know, sure. traveling around London or whatever. But, um, so, but I did get there early and I got, actually saw the whole set and it was amazing. Mark Evans on bass and mm-hmm. Bon Scott, you say, you know, Nigel and Life sort just, you know, right in front of me. Incredible. Such stage presence and, you know, they were just amazing. Such energy. You know, a, a cool that's thing. That's why I went to see him a couple of times headlining after that because they did four nights headlining, mm-hmm. you know, after that at the marquee. You know, I managed to go to two. So just incredible, really. You're playing, you know, TNT and all that sort of stuff. It's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because Maiden, you know, when you had your B-sides, introduced kids like me to Nectar and Beckett and these type of really obscure bands with these great songs like King of Twilight and Rainbow's Gold and that sort well, of thing. Well, next year I saw them play at Victoria. Um, you know, uh, I think it was the Apollo it was called in them days or something like that. And um, they had a German band called Crown supporting them. Hmm. And they were really interesting as well. I mean, musically I didn't love them, but the bass player did an incredible show. I don't really like bass solos. I find them boring, but this guy was amazing. It's German. Bass player, cool. And then Nectar were just unbelievable as well. Was it an English but, uh, band? Yeah, I love Nick. I love Nick. I love Nectar. It's sad to say, Roy Elbert Brighton passed away not so long ago. Um, hmm. It's a shame, but great band. Who are some of your favorite bass players back from that time frame, and then throughout you know more of the modern times that influenced your style? Well, I think um, probably early on, I suppose, well, John Entwistle from you was, you know, influencer. Andy Fraser from Free, I loved him as well. I think it was amazing. Martin Turner from Wishbone Ash. Mm. Pete Way, UFO, and Renus Gerritsen from Golden Earring. Oh, a big influence. I even bought a Dan Electro guitar, bass guitar, because of him, but it wasn't very good. I don't, you know, <laughs> he must have had a good one. I didn't get a good one, but... So I didn't really use it for long, but, you know, you tend to do when you're young like that, you tend to do that. I mean, I bought a Gibson Thunderbird because Pete Way had one, John Entwistle had one, and Martin Turner also had one. They all had totally different sounds, and I thought, well, I must, out between them three, I must be able to get something out of it. And it was terrible. <laughs> it sounded, I just don't know if it's, I just didn't have a good one, but it didn't sound good at all. And also, the, the neck hang was hang, just a top heavy hanging away from you, so... I hated that as well, so I didn't keep that for long. I just got rid of that fairly sharpish. But, um, you know, you tend to do things like that when you're into certain bands and that. You think you are influenced by them because you think, well, they've got a sound with certain things. You try these things out. And you're experimenting those days, obviously trying to get your own sound together. Well, and that's and exactly right. So I ended up uh, settling down with a, with a kind of precision because it was just... I don't know, simple, work, and it just works. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. I'm not trying to plug Fender guitars, but, you know, everyone knows I use that anyway, so, for years, so it is what it is, but 
You know, um, it's just weird because what will work for someone else won't necessarily work for you. That's the thing. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, it's all in your hands, isn't it? It's your style. Well, a lot of it is, yeah, technique. I mean, I know that for a fact because the sound that I have, some, I've had other people get up and play my rig and whatever, and it sounds totally different without changing the settings. So it's obviously definitely a lot in the way you attack or play. So, mm-hmm. you know, it even sounds different, you know, my bass tech and Michael Kenny has been with me for many years. Many years, he's, he's yeah. He's a good player himself, but he sounds very different. In fact, he's a lot louder than I am. He, I thought I'd best, you know, quite a lot out of the strings, but he, uh, he, when he plays, he's louder than I am. So, But uh, it's a different sound. Yeah, you could have two guys play the exact same rig and it's going to have a different style and different vibe to it. Yeah, yeah, it's just, the, I suppose it's just technique or whatever. I don't really pay too much attention to it, really. It just is what it is, but... Just uh, as we wind down here, Steve, I want to ask you just about the legacy of the Beast Tour because the rumor is that you guys are going to come to the States with it next summer, and I'm sure you will at some point. I love the fact that you guys do kind of a new album tour and then follow up with kind of, uh, um, I don't even know how you would say it, kind of the classics, but it's, it's more than that tour. You've been doing that for many years. It's, it's, a, it's a great idea. Yeah, we started doing it and it just seemed to work great so we sort of carried on doing it and found different ways to make it work and whatever and this show is really working great and yeah, we've announced Rock in Rio so everyone knows there's going to be other shows but I, I've been sworn to secrecy by Mr. Smallwood and, uh, so <laughs> Don't break the oath to Mr. Smallwood, man. He'll yell at me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the threat of the Yorkshireman. <laughs> yeah. When you're putting together the set list for a, a, a tour like that, I mean, obviously, there's so many songs, but you you always pull out like. Well, that's another song. thing. It was quite funny because I said in an interview, like, because normally me and Bruce put the sets together between us, mm-hmm. have done for years, and um, this time I thought it was really Bruce that put the set list together. I fine tuned it a tiny bit, but um, it actually apparently Rob was bit miffed with me because it was apparently he reckons it was him so I don't know I mean I don't to be honest I don't care who puts the set list together it's a bloody good one but if it was Rod then well done but you know it's <laughs> quite funny it's so I'm, it's on record now saying it was him that did the set list okay fair enough <laughs> just let it go it's alright <laughs> yeah but it, 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 there's never um you know, when you guys did the first night of the Legacy of the Beast tour, like on Instagram, every song was announced as you guys were playing it with this amazing graphic, this artwork. And I don't think there's any other band in the world where fans are waiting with bated breath to see what Iron Maiden is going to play on the new set list to where they're announcing it song by song on Instagram. Well, that's because we've been around a long time, I suppose, and we've got so many songs to choose from that, you know, you never know what we're going to play next. I suppose it's always you know, three or four songs that t- tend to be in the set on a regular basis. But apart from that, you don't know what you're going to get with us. And we don't really know until we d- sit down, decide to do it and rehearse it and whatever. And so it keeps it fresh for us as well. And sometimes we'll bring a song back we haven't played for many years, which is good. like on this last tour with Flight of Icarus, went, went for a long, long time. Yeah. And um, it feels great when you bring stuff back like that, you know. Um, almost feels like a new song sometimes. And it's... Uh, it's just fresh, feels fresh, fresh again. It's good. It's just nice to mix things up. 
And this set really works really well. I mean, theatrically, musically. It's amazing. You know, whether it works wherever else we take it, we'll see. But it certainly worked in Europe. So we'll see what happens. The production is incredible, too. I, lo- I love seeing the the Aces High Spitfire and Bruce has got the the Flight of Icarus Flames and the whole thing. Um, like you said, production-wise, it's, it's second to none as well. Yeah, well, again, I think it's not... I mean, okay, you, people see it on YouTube and all that, but it's not the same as seeing it. Of course. You know, actually there when you're there. So, yeah, it's a really good show. It is. It's definitely one of the best ones we've ever done, I think. Last, uh, last two questions for you. Um, I got called to do, I guess, a guy called Martin Popoff in Canada. He's doing a book of a bunch of, you know, quote unquote, famous Maiden fans giving their favorite two records. And I asked which ones other people chose. So I went with Power Slave and The X Factor, which to me is a very underrated record. It's a very dark record. Uh, It's almost like listening to a Floyd album in that you have to be in a certain state of mind to really get into it. Uh, But I love it. Um, I'm not ashamed to say it. I think it's a great record. Looking back on it, do you still well, feel think, cool about that record? Do you like it? Do you think it's underrated? Yeah, I really like that. I really like that album. It's very personal to me anyway, that album. But it's not just that. I just, I mean, I remember saying at the time that, that those albums that we did for Blaze, I think that, you know, I said it many times that people would in the future come to appreciate them a lot more later on. And, that, and they are. They are starting to do that now. They definitely are appreciating it a lot more now. You know, they were bloody good albums, in my opinion. You know, it was a point in time, whatever we were going through at the time, and you know, I think it brought out some good, really good stuff. So yeah, I really like that that album and that era as well too. You know, we were fighting. You know, everyone was kind of fighting at the time because everyone thought metal was going down and all this, and and it was to a certain degree. But you know makes you fight makes you challenge and fight oh, I like that and it's there's an, there's an element to it a fire in it that's you know very important I think it's an important part of their career yeah like every I said every career has highs and lows and ups and downs and this and that and the other and whether Bruce is in the band or not and you know um, it is what it is and you just you just ride the waves really at the moment we're on the crest of a wave which is fantastic <laughs> You're under, it's a tsunami at this yeah. point Steve you know you take it all day long but you know you just never know what's around the corner really well and it's cool too that you guys still play Sign of the Cross and Klansman and those tunes but um, it, it gives that record new life and I agree with you for sure those two records are, are very underrated so last question for you what's your favourite British Lion song and what's the hardest Iron Maiden song uh, for you to play it's a tough one really because uh, it's such you know powerful songs I think but I think live probably the it's a tough choice between I like I enjoy, really enjoy playing Chosen Ones and Us Against the World I think in the moment there's a great tune and Us tunes. Against the World uh, maybe slightly has the edge because even the title it's, it's almost like going back to you know fighting for everything again and feeling that you are kind of up against it and you know it's kind of that element so I I really enjoy that one but I enjoy them all. What's the hardest Iron Maiden song for you to play live? Um, I don't know, really. I don't really have difficult with... I can't think I have difficult with any of them, really. <laughs> all- Someone the other day asked me, certainly because I'm getting older, they said, can you still play Phantom of the Opera? Or is that why it's not in the set? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know. I can still play it, you know, quite easily. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but um, I don't know, really. 
It's, I suppose there are some songs or the longer songs you have to pay a little bit more attention than others, but I wouldn't say they're any technically any more difficult. Sometimes some of the faster ones, you, whatever, but I don't really find any of them difficult, to be honest, and I don't want it to sound sort of big or anything like that, but it's just, I don't really. If you rehearse enough, then you don't have a problem, you know. Well, but, that's so the thing. I don't have a problem. Even if you're playing a newer song, like you said, like Red in the Black or something, it's so long. As long as you rehearse it and you remember all the tempo changes, that might be the, the most difficult part, probably. Well, that one in particular for me, um, you know, I wrote that one, so it's easier for me than <laughs> say, the rest of the guys where they got to get the red round. There's a lot of, and also in that song, there's a lot of, you know, guitar things going on. Right. So it's a lot more difficult for them, I think, than me. You know, I'm holding the sort of thing going down or pretty much throughout. So, yeah, there's a lot going on in that song, but for them more than me. So it's not really that dif- difficult a song for me, I don't think. That's why you write so many of the songs, because it's easier for you to remember them. Well, the problem is, as well, <laughs> I write stuff on the bass, and I write in maybe such a way that it's not really natural for guitar players. So that's, you know, they used to moan about it, but they've given up moaning now. <laughs> Steve, it's been great talking to you, man. I appreciate it, and uh, looking forward to the new British Line record when you get a chance to put it out. And maybe somehow, uh, if you guys do come over uh, next year for Le- 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 Legacy of the Beast, I will be there, and I'll be standing with Rod Smallwood uh, drinking beer at the soundboard. Yeah, all right, mate. That'd be great. See you then. <laughs> Cheers, Steve. Thanks, man. Cheers, mate. Cheers. All right, thanks to Steve Harris, one of my all-time heroes. Touring now with British Lion, they're playing the brand-new studio version of Spitfire every night in the set. We heard that here exclusive on Talk is Jericho. Thanks to Steve and everybody with British Lion. Uh, They've got three days left in Japan starting November 26th. Uh, If you're over in Japan, check out this band. Uh, But you heard Steve, a new British Lion album is in the works. And you know, once it's finished, they'll tour behind it as well. Also talks about a new Iron Maiden record. But in the meantime, and in between time, Steve and Iron Maiden are bringing the Legacy of the Beast tour to North America next year. Dates start July 18th in Florida. And like I mentioned, Fozzie will be the main support on September 14th at the Bank of California Stadium in Los Angeles. It's a dream come true. Come check us out. We are going to be going crazy that night. Uh, Nothing better than a great Iron Maiden concert. And there's no such thing as a not great Iron Maiden concert. I think I've seen Iron Maiden more than any other band uh, that I've seen. They're up there with Kiss and Metallica. And I've never seen a bad Iron Maiden show uh, no matter what. So very excited for that. And very excited that Steve Harris was on Talk is Jericho today and uh, actually called my house. Uh, So he has my phone number. So there you go. I don't have his. But he's got mine. All right, Canada. Fozzie is already here and ready to rock. The Canadian days of the Judas Rising Tour start tonight, uh, Wednesday, November 21st, in Moncton at Casino, New Brunswick. Then we head over to Halifax at the Cunard Center. That'll be on uh, on uh, Friday. And then Saturday is Quebec City at Centre Vidéotron. Sunday, Montreal, MT Ellis. I probably butchered all those sayings. But anyways, all those arenas. But the 26th, Arn Prior at the John Street. That is sold out. 27, London at the London Music Hall. 28th, Toronto at the Rock Pile. uh, The 30th in Thunder Bay at Crocs. That's going to be a great show. Winnipeg, hometown show. Burton Cummings Theater. What a prestigious venue. Very, very cool for us to play there. That's on December 1st. December 2nd, Regina at the Exchange. That is sold out. Get a lot of inquiries from Regina. We're sorry. We're sold out. Come to Winnipeg, maybe. It's only five hours away. 
Edmonton at the Starlight on December 3rd. And the last show of the Judas Rising Tour, the entire tour, is in Calgary, December 4th at the Gateway. Come join us. Jared James Nichols is going to be there. Dead Set Society, the Dave Spivak Project, join us for the last four dates of the tour. FozzyRock.com for all the ticket information, including how to buy tickets for one of Fozzy's legendary VIP meet and greets, one of the best of the business. We play a mini concert for you. We take pictures. We sign stuff. We hang out with you. You don't want to miss it. You will get your money's worth, I guarantee it. FozzyRock.com for all details on VIPs and tickets. All right. One uh, uh, personal hero today in Steve Harris from Rock and Roll. Friday, another personal her- uh, hero, uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Wow, can't believe it. One of my biggest three uh, teenage wrestling heroes. Uh, it was a live podcast on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rage at Sea. I've been waiting five years to talk to Ricky Steamboat. I got him on the cruise. It's a great conversation with one of the legends in the biz. So be here on Friday. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I'm so excited. I just can't hide it. I know, I know, I know. I won't, blah, 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 blah. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, by the way, to all the sexy beasts. American Talk is Jericho listeners. Uh, I am in Canada. We're having lobster. It's Lobster Turkey Day here uh, for uh, all of us. Uh, on the Talk is Jericho staff, which is me. Although Stacy is in the States, she'll be having turkey. I'll be having lobsters. So there you go. And thanks to everyone who listens all over the world. We appreciate you being here. Thanks to Steve Harris. And we'll see you on Friday for Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. You're going to love it. In the meantime, stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. And a big, yeah, boy. Happy Thanksgiving.